Well, if this is your first time with us, my name's Rob Chestnut. I'm one of the pastors on staff and just want to welcome you again to spending your Sunday morning here at 360. Um, like I said, if this is your first time, we need to kind of catch you up on what's going on. And we've been spending the last few months in the book of John, kind of going verse by verse through what's known as the prologue, the introduction to the book of John. And I've honestly been kind of jealous because I don't want to say Steve's been hogging it, but he kind of has been hogging this series. He's not here right now, so I can say that openly. And uh, I, I kind of wanted to, to be a part of it, and, and the schedule actually worked out really well and, and had a chance this morning to enter in. Cause, and now we're actually, it's the next to last verse before we, we finish out this opening. And uh, before we get into that, I, I kind of want to, I need to do some setup because sure, we can just look at the verse as it is on its own, but you really need a little bit more context to kind of bring us to that point. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles. You can go to John chapter one. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. And we're going to go back and look at John 1, 14. That's where we'll get started this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this idea of the word became flesh, that word we're talking about, you know, that's talking about Jesus himself, that actual uh, coming into being. And, and even in the original uh, language, it's, it's coined as like a tabernacle. And the tabernacle was kind of this sacred space. So the word tabernacles amongst us, it comes close. And uh, if you were here, we had this great illustration of like, okay, so there was the tent and the tent was over here and this is where the people were. But then because of Jesus, we're able to bring that tent and we're able to bring it close. And Steve had a, a literal tent to set up on stage and everything. And and that idea of becoming close is what we want to kind of think about today, but especially there's a little hint of it uh, at the tail end of the verse when it says, full of grace and truth. And so I just want you to begin to kind of ruminate on what it would mean to be full of grace and truth. And then John 1.15, that's just talking about John the Baptist, just to kind of give some uh, side note. And then we come again to John 1.16, and it says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So we're continuing with this aspect of talking about grace. And again, the illustration that Pastor Steve gave that is just like amazing to me and just kind of hit the nail on the head is, um, how many of you have been to the beach? Yes, we live in Florida, good. Okay, that was a very weak showing of hands. See, this is what happens when you live near the beach. You never actually go until people come down to visit, right? Okay, so I get it, I, you, you're forgiven, good. But if and when you go to the beach with company and you know, guests and whatnot, and if you go to the sand and you begin to dig and you know, you're, you're gonna go down and then eventually you're just gonna hit, what are you gonna hit? You're gonna hit water, that's right. In fact, you don't even need to go to the beach. You can just go to your backyard and start digging. You're going to hit water eventually. This is Florida. And, and so the follow-up question then to that is, can you get that water out of that hole? Can you ever dig so much that the water will be gone? No, exactly. And this is that idea of grace upon grace is that you can dig as much as you want. You can try and out grace grace or out sin grace and you're not gonna be able to do it. That's the amazing thing of the truth of scripture but also just the beauty of it and we'll talk about that a little bit more but that idea of you can't out sin grace no matter what you throw at it, it's, it's gonna overcome it and that's an amazing thing. 
But maybe as you read those two verses, you begin to think, okay, so we, we get this fullness of grace, grace upon grace, uh, uh, full of grace and truth. But how does that translate to us? How do we actually receive this grace and truth? Where does it come from? How did we get it? And that's what we're going to talk about today in, uh, in John verse, chapter 1, verse 17. And John 1, 17 says this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we read the verses before, just kind of leading up to it, but it's always good to get a little bit of extra context for what's going on in the moment. So why would John mention Moses? You know, we've been talking about Jesus all the way through these last 17 verses. We're only really focusing on Jesus. Why bring up Moses at this stage in the game? And What's interesting is, you know, the, the book of John was written to kind of a, a multiple groups of people, and one of them specifically would have been the unbelieving Jews of the day. And to the unbelieving Jews, Moses is the top of the totem pole. Like, you've got God over everything always, but then right underneath that, there's Moses. Um, I had an incredible conversation, very enlightening conversation. Uh, a few years ago, we were living in the Czech Republic and you need to buy international health insurance for the kids, just kind of a law that was required. And so in order to buy health insurance, you got to contact an international health insurance agency, something along this line. So I call because I wasn't really sure what to do. And uh, the guy that answered the phone was obviously American obviously from New York and obviously Jewish. And you knew this within like three seconds of him saying anything. And, you know, and so as you're beginning to talk to him, he, he just says, uh, so, you know, what do you do? And I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm a missionary. And he goes, oh, you're one of them. And it just began. And I mean, literally for the next hour, I am on the phone. I am not exaggerating. It was an hour phone call with this dude. I mean, and we're going back and forth. You know, Moses was the only individual who ever talked to God face to face. Not you, Jesus, okay? Only Moses face to face with God. Look it up. You can look it up. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about. I mean, we, we, and you know, Audrey's walking in and out of the room. I'm like pacing around like this, like flipping through the Old Testament. And she's like, it's just insurance. What, who are you talking to? What is going on? And you know, I'm like, no, but the Torah, no, no, you, well, hang on. And you know, it's and so, um, and then truth be told, this entire conversation wraps around. I spent an hour of my life with this human being talking about these different beliefs. And I finally wrap it all around and go, okay, great. But um, yes, anyway, the reason I'm calling is I need to get the insurance set up for the girls. Oh, for your kids, you can do that online. You didn't need to call at all. <laughs> So obviously God knew that I needed A, a lesson in Old Testament, and also that I was going to need this for an illustration years in the future, so we're very thankful for that conversation. But so even, but think about this, even today, right now, in modern times, Moses still holds a position that is like right up there. Moses more than Jesus, even as this guy is saying. Now, by the way, yes, Moses did speak face to face with God, only person went down, but Jesus is God. So don't worry about it, okay? You know, and, and if you don't believe that aspect, then you know, the conversation kind of is only one-sided. But you know, just want to clear up everybody. You know, when people go back like, but Moses was... Anyway, so, so 
uh, that's why we're having a contrast in this. That's why John's putting it out there because there's such value and importance placed on Moses that it needs to be contrasted with something else. And you just can't, you, you know, you, you start with the big guns up there and then we're gonna work our way down, so to speak. And what's also interesting is if we're gonna talk about grace as the two previous verses have, the only thing that contrasts grace is the law because that's where grace comes out of because the law was not able to, well, we'll get into it in a minute. So there's a big significance in this exchange because you're dealing with two different ideas, you're dealing with two different people, and John needs to put this on the table because it carries a lot of weight with it that even impacts us very much today. So first off, as we look in that first half of that verse, it says, for the law was, anybody? Given. Given. The law was given to Moses. So the law actually does not belong to Moses. Moses is essentially, in this case, he is the messenger. He's the secretary. He's, the, he's transcribing it. He can't claim ownership of it. We've all at some point in time had to deliver a message from someone else, sometimes good, sometimes not. And, you know, that's why we have the phrase, don't shoot the messenger, because it's, it's not mine, okay? I'm just, I'm just here to say it, and th this is what it is. And so this message, this law belonging to God, that's where it comes from. But also I want to look at how that law was given, how it was laid out for us, and how Moses actually received it personally, because it's going to play into that idea of Jesus and grace and truth. So if you go to Exodus 34, and you can kind of like mark that in your Bible as well, because we're going to go back and forth between Exodus 34 and John 1. But so Exodus 34, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So we're getting some very specific instructions. We're getting a specific time, a specific place, um, what he needs to bring, who else comes up with him, and the answer to that is no one. In fact, he, God doesn't even want anyone on the mountain. He doesn't even want the animals on the opposite mountains, okay? So... Is, is this a personal, uh, like, I'm not getting a lot of warm and fuzzies reading this, okay? There's more this kind of overwhelming sense of maybe dread, uh, or it, it doesn't seem like an ideal thing you'd want to enter into. And, and even when you, when you get to the point where Moses is talking to God, how does Moses talk to God? Okay, good. I, that's, that's why I'm here, so that's good. I can tell you why. It's okay. So... In one interaction when you have, you know, God says, or Moses says, I, I, I want to see you. And God says, you can't even handle seeing me. You have to see me like this. So I, I don't know if all their interactions went like that, but Mo, uh, God essentially said to Moses, if you see me face to face, you're going to die. So you can only really look at my back. So I don't know like how you feel about me personally, but if I were to do the rest of the message like this, I kind of feel like, you know, you, we'd lose something in the midst of it all. And then, you know, I've got I've to like, you know, point backwards and things and that's, you know, that it just, it doesn't work. And, you know, for those of us who are married, like, have you had a conversation like this with your wife? Because I haven't. <laughs> we always speak face to face and we love each other very much. And it's true. 
And if she were here, she would tell you, but she's not, so I can still tell her regardless. Anyway, so, you know, you, you want to speak face to face. You know, you, you want that interaction with somebody. You, you would want that dynamic of a relationship. And if someone has their back to you the entire time, I mean, that's, that's not a, that wouldn't be normal. And then even on top of that, Moses, in that time he spends with God, he comes down from the mountain with the tablets and whatnot. And what does he even look like? He's glowing, literally glowing. Look at Exodus 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Moses is literally glowing upon his return coming down the mountain. And it happened so much so that in those, you know, continuous encounters with God, he'd have to wrap himself in a veil because he was illuminated. He even like the, the verse after this, everybody was scared of him. They didn't know it was him. He has to say, hey, it's me. It's all right. I'm, I'm okay. So this dynamic of the relationship, it doesn't seem like an easy access welcome thing. And we've seen that multiple times throughout the Old Testament of, you know, the God and man separation is huge. And the results of man coming close to God sometimes is almost a life or death scenario or it changes the person. So that's just the interaction between Moses and God in terms of giving the law. But what about the law itself? What about this thing that Moses was given? What do we do with that? So you know, written on the stones, you have the, the Ten Commandments, as you've probably seen with Charlton Heston. Um, and, and, but what you don't know is there's, there's lots of other laws, rules, and regulations that come with it. 613 other rules and regulations, to be specific. And I've been currently reading through the, doing kind of a year read through the Bible plan and I've just gotten into Leviticus and I don't know if you guys have done the read through the Bible and you, you know, everything's great and good and interesting and then you hit Leviticus and it's like, okay, okay, how many animals are we going to kill in this chapter and what, I mean, you know, and the, the, the stipulation of, you know, you, you slaughter it this way and the blood goes here and then you cook this part and you don't cook that part and this goes to him and these go to, the, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I read Leviticus, I just become all the more grateful that we don't have to live under this still, that this isn't something we have to interact with regularly. And even in the monotony of if you are reading through, just think every time, be thankful I don't have to do this, okay? I mean, some of us can barely cook a chicken. There's no way we'd be able to like, you know, clean these animals and whatnot. We leave it all to the hunters of the church and then everybody else would kind of be left to their own. So... The law, though, even though there's all these rules and regulations that come with it, what does the law ultimately bring? And so Paul speaks of that in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. He says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So through the law, there are consequences. This is not like and every mouth is stopped and no one will be justified. Ultimately saying the law is never gonna make you better than that sin that you've got in your life. You're never gonna be able to get rid of it via the law. So not exactly like great news here or super uplifting moments with the recognition of you are going to be trapped in this and ultimately all it's going to do 
is bring you a knowledge of sin, which is going to lead to death. I mean, Paul famously says, I wouldn't know what it is to steal if the law didn't say, do not steal. So we're trapped in this kind of endless cycle and the law makes it painfully evident that you are never going to be able to cut it. You are never going to be able to work your way out of it. You are never going to be able to do enough. All it's going to ultimately do is bring about an end. So this is why John is bringing this contrast into play because there needs to be something else. The law does not bring about salvation. The law does not bring about righteousness. It doesn't bring about life. Something else has to change. This is God's ultimate plan through his son. And this is what John is getting at. So if we go back again to verse 17, let's look at that. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The significance in those opening words. And just look at that again. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It was not given to Jesus Christ. It comes with Jesus Christ. It's a package deal. And so, again, if we just need to kind of dissect this for a minute, because I'm more than happy to. Grace, ah, grace is the scandal of the universe. Grace is the greatest thing in the history of all mankind because grace is not mercy, all right, for definition's sake. Grace is essentially saying you get pardoned and then you get rewarded on top of it and there's nothing you can do to earn that. And there's, grace essentially says there's nothing you can do that will get you closer to God and there's nothing you can do that gets you farther away from God. You are covered, you are taken care of. Grace is the difference between religion and relationship. All other religions on the planet are trying to do something, to achieve something, and grace says you don't have to do it because you can't do it and I've already done it. So don't worry about it. And I mean, I literally like, Ugh, I could go on all day talking about this. I literally had to write in my notes, stop talking about grace, move on to the next point. So I will, but if you want to get together and talk to me about grace, block out a week and I'll be more than happy to walk you through it. It is a thing that changed my life specifically because being a pastor's kid, raised all in it, whatnot, I came to that point, but when I understood grace, it essentially opened my eyes to say that every single person on the face of the planet has the same opportunity to reach Jesus just like you do and they are no different and they have no less of an opportunity and if you view somebody through the lens of grace, you do not see the problem in front of you, you see the person in front of you and that person needs Jesus just as much as you do. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. And scene. Okay. Truth, grace, and truth came through Jesus. So what about truth? Ah, the answer to the question, the facts, the, the, the absolute 100% answer to what we are looking for. We live in a world right now where truth is subjective, where your truth is different from my truth, but they're both true. Sure they are. Or my other favorite one is the people who say there is no truth, there's absolutely no way there can be absolute truth whatsoever. And if you disagree with them, they will then get into an argument with you to prove while they are true, that there is no truth. Think about that one for a minute. Okay, so wait, so, so there's no truth, we can never know it. Yes, absolutely. I disagree with you. No, you're wrong. Can you prove why you're true? Absolutely I can. But you just said there's no truth. Shut up. Um, 
And that's kind of the way the argument goes. So if everybody's true, nobody's wrong, or everybody's wrong and everybody's right at the same time, it's a wonderful position to be in. Uh, So this is why there's a necessity for grace and truth because it's the only thing that can counteract and contrast within the law itself. It provides a way out. And Romans 5, 20 and 21 says this, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the law comes in and essentially says, this is sin, this is why you're wrong, this is why you're never gonna get it, and all that ultimately leads to is death, and grace comes in and actually leads to righteousness because you can't out-sin grace. There is nothing that you have done that is larger than grace. So if you're sitting right there now, and I say this in love and care and respect, that if you think your sin is special and isolated to you only, you're not special. You're not special and grace is greater than all of your sin and Jesus Christ is able to overcome anything in your life that you have done. That is why we're here. That is why we believe what we believe and that is why we continue on and that's why we're talking about this because if there was no hope, what are we doing here? Seriously, if there was no way out and this grace, again, okay, I'm doing it again, I'll stop, I'll stop, all right. I'll stop, keep going, keep going. So. Grace comes and brings about life, but it also, notice the word that's being used. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It comes through Jesus, the person of who he is, and that's the reason why we've been talking about who Jesus is in the midst of this series, because all of the prologue, verses 1 through 18, is defining who Christ is, but it's dealing specifically with the human person of Jesus Christ. So while you read this scripture, I need you to kind of not read it at the same time because we're literally talking about the person of Jesus. Jesus the man sets all these things in motion. And, and, and this is the crazy thing, well, not really crazy, but when you think about it, like the law came before, but it all leads up to who Christ the person is going to be. And the great illustration that Paul uses is in Colossians 2.17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, I have a shadow right now, yes? Yes, I can Peter Pan over here on the wall, perfect. My shadow's not going anywhere, right? And everyone has a shadow of some sorts, but what does a shadow require? It requires light, but it also requires what? Yeah, it requires something to cast the shadow. But so the shadow is not me. The shadow doesn't have any value here, but you could follow my shadow and it will lead to me in that same way that the law is a shadow of what's put in front of that actually leads to the body of Christ. So Jesus in that physical form is the thing that is casting that. You can look back through history and that like metaphor of an illustration. But what's awesome is that this idea that grace and truth came through Jesus is the same word that's being used in John 1.14 when it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this is that idea that that same becoming, that becoming of a human being, that process by which God transcends all of time and space and everything and folds himself into flesh and bone and muscle and everything else, that becoming 
is the same becoming where grace and truth comes from. It comes from Jesus physically being here on the planet with us. And how does John 1, 14 end? Full of grace and truth. So we're, we're, we're going back to that idea of the person of Jesus bringing about this grace and truth, but it comes with him, physically with him being here. He brings it into existence because beforehand it didn't exist in this way. And that's kind of this like wild thing in some regards of just that the person of Jesus would have this stuff with him in that human form. And this is why John goes to great lengths to talk about the person of Jesus, because it, people before wouldn't believe it. You know, you have uh, preachers and whatnot and all these other kind of like prophets and things, but the man, the physical man, God, man in Jesus Christ brings these things into existence. And, and the reason, again, in the contrast is because the Jews of the day, again, would be stuck on this because th they wouldn't be able to figure it out for them. Moses, you know, Moses in that form, there's no way that Jesus in human form could be greater than Moses. And Jesus himself even speaks to it. Later on in John chapter five, he says this, John 5, 44 through 47. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus is giving a serious indictment to these non-believing Jews at the time, saying essentially, look, I've, I've been around prior to all of this. Moses, your guy, was talking about me, and you don't even recognize me in his writings Otherwise, you would know, you would understand where this grace and truth is coming from. And what's really fascinating, too, is if you look back into the Old Testament, when God himself is talking about who he is to the people around him or even to different interactions, he says this exact thing right here. He, he brings up this grace and truth. And what's awesome is he brings up this idea of saying grace and truth when God is talking to Moses on the mountain, giving the law. So that same thing we're contrasting is the same interaction that God has with Moses. And this is what he says to him. So listen to this. Exodus 34, five through six. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Okay, now we see one of them there. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. There is grace that he's talking about. But what's awesome is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness Faithfulness can be translated in the original language to the word truth. So here is, here is God speaking to Moses on the mountain while he's giving the law saying, I am God, gracious and full of truth. And here is John contrasting it all these years later saying the law was given to Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus and that same grace and truth God was speaking about all the way back then. This is the, a beautiful thing of scripture and that all these years gone, all these years later, we see that the relationship that had God and man like this is now like this. 
And when they're like this, this again, that grace and truth that comes into existence, Jesus speaks of it himself even and says in John 14, six and seven, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The statement right there, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We've heard that plenty. We, we've recited it, and hopefully you have it memorized. But the ending tells us something as well. Because now he's saying, look, you, you have not seen the Father. If you had seen the Father, you would see me, but now you have. Now you know him because I'm here. So what was impossible for Moses is now possible with Jesus Christ. And do you look here as well? This is the other thing we got to highlight back in John 1, 17. He doesn't say the word. He says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, the man specifically. And this is the first reference of Jesus Christ by name in the entire prologue of those 18 verses. Because he's specific here to say it is the person, again, it's the man who comes forth and with him coming into existence, grace and truth flows out with him. And so church, what that means for us is that if you believe in Jesus and you have followed in his footsteps and you have chosen to walk with him, you have that same access to that same grace and truth in this very moment. And we exist and live in a world that is desperate for grace and truth. And I don't think it's any coincidence that John puts them in that order, grace, then truth. Because grace and truth transcends politics and divides and all these different aspects of belief and things and these, these walls we want to put around ourselves and say, this is more important than that. This is more, you know, you are more important than them. All those different pieces go away with grace and truth. And it is such a, it is, ah, uh, ah. Uh. You get wrapped up in the idea of just recognizing what the world around us is so desperate for and they do not even recognize it. They do not even recognize it. So what do we do with that grace and truth? How do we enact it? How, how, what, what does it look like? What, what, you know, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying like, I, I, I get it, but I don't totally get it. What would grace and truth look like in my given life? And this past week, we got a reminder of what grace and truth looked like because Billy Graham got to go home to Jesus. And if you know anything of Dr. Graham, as he was referred to in our household, you would see a man who exemplified grace and truth in everything that he did. And it didn't matter if you were, you know, whether you were some convict on death row or whether you were the queen of England, you had the same deference, you had the same reverence that Billy Graham would give you because you are all worthy. You are all worthy of this truth. And as he spoke with grace and truth, he spoke to over 250 million people in person, more than anyone else in recorded history. And his message was consistent and the same all the way through every single time that the cross of Christ is bridging the gap to allow you to have faith and life eternal in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, is what Billy Graham said over and over and over again, and that man was loaded with grace and truth, regardless of who he talked to. And so as I looked and tried to find like something to kind of encapsulate this, I came across a clip that for me 
was very unexpected and maybe it will be for you as well, but we'll watch and then we'll talk about it when it's done. A close friend of Billy Graham, Kathy Gritsky. Still am. <laughs> what, what's your reaction? What are you thinking about? Oh him my! Today? They came in to tell me I was in makeup over across the street, and I just immediately just put up my hands and said, "Thank you, Lord. Thank you," because he has been uh, lingering and languishing. Uh, I, last time I saw him was four years ago at his 95th birthday party, and uh, Frank was alive then too. And we went down there, and, and I was sitting with his granddaughter at a. At a um, at a table and hadn't seen him and he was quite frail but I, I knew it, in my heart it would be the last time I'd see him so I said to her I said can I go over and just just tell your your grandfather thank you because my whole family came to faith in Jesus through the Billy Graham organization Is that right yes and I personally did going to the first movie that the Billy Graham organization ever put out it was called the restless ones and it's like God met me in my heart right where I lived I wanted to be an actress so where does God meet me? In a movie theater. And at that time, he took a lot of flack for even making a movie. See, I, but, find, but I find this so interesting because you, you have the same philosophy as he did, which he used to say, he used to preach about the joy, the joy of Absolutely. belief. Absolutely. That sounds like you. And what just happened for Billy happened for my husband, happened for my mother, for my father. Everybody that dies in Christ goes immediately into the arms of Christ for eternity. That is the hope of the Christian faith. Yes, it gives us the tools we need to live in the world today while we're alive. But that's why I could hold my dead husband in my arms and rejoice because I knew where he was mm -hmm. and it gives you the peace that passes all understanding and if we don't have if we've ever needed peace in this world we need it now right and somebody says to me why are you so bold about your faith and I was looking at everybody's beautiful face right now you too <laughs> I said why are you so bold about your faith and I said you know what if you had the cure for cancer would you keep it quiet or would you hold it and keep it a secret and I always say, I have the cure for the malignancy of the soul. And he has a name. And it's Jesus. And it just, it, I feel so privileged to be able to share just the good news. Gospel means good news. It's good news. And I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about a relationship with the living God. They're so different. They're so different. We don't need more religion. We need more Jesus. I mean, we're all just human. You know, we're all know, just human. When, when I look back at what he, what he preached, you know, from, from after 9-11 saying the lesson here is about our need for one another. That's the lesson in 9-11, our need for each other. Yes. And then even after the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal, he, Bill Clinton was quoted as saying that um, Billy Graham had said to him, or that, that, that his lesson in having spoken with Billy Graham about it was that he took sin seriously, but he took redemption seriously yes. too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you understand that. And I that's, sure do. That's what you say. I mean, I feel like, because I'll tell you, you and I have been having an ongoing discussion about faith and connection with God. And I feel like, who is there today who has his kind of messaging? You know, mm -hmm. that uplifting, joyful, faithful, help me get reconnected. Right. Don't shame me. Don't guilt yeah, me. Don't, don't make me feel worse than I already feel. Someone who's nonpartisan, someone who's full of love, right. someone who's not covered in scandal, not trying to rip anybody mm -hmm. off. You know, there aren't that many Billy Grahams out there. There are world. so many people of faith, though, that, and, and sincere faith, and uh, many, many, many in our pulpits, but many, many, many just... It might be your plumber. It might be. God has his people everywhere. And, and use this opportunity to look into your own heart. Every one of us should and say, do I have a malignancy of my soul? Where's the doctor? 
Well, the good news is the doctor is in. And um, he conquered death for all time for every one of us. And it's free. It's probably the only thing in this whole world we live in that's completely free. This broken man on Twitter this morning said, you know, I, I've disappointed everybody. I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a that. I said, I, I'm a burden to everybody. And I said, you're not a burden to God and you're not a burden to me. And God loves you. Just ask him into your heart and he your life will change. It can be your plumber. It can be your coworker. <laughs> Love you, Megan. Thank you. Thank you for being and say here. a prayer for, for, the, for the Graham family today. They're, they're going to be great. Um, they're rejoicing. So thank you, everybody. Amen. Thanks for having me, sweetie. You bet. We'll be right back. Right? <clears throat> Full disclosure. So, you know, you see Kathy Lee Gifford talking about Billy Graham. I'm like, okay, here we go. This is going to be, I don't know where this is going to go. And I sat there dumbfounded. Because if ever you're looking for an illustration of grace and truth, man, I mean, what an opportunity, what a boldness and an ability to share. But what's fascinating too is that, did you hear the subtle little exchange? Megyn Kelly says, you and I have been having an ongoing discussion about faith, about God and what that means. And she even closes the whole segment with saying, it could be your plumber or it could be your coworker. So it's evident, folks, as we just, I mean, we, we watch that and we see what's happening right there, okay? But this is grace and truth. When you approach another human being with grace and truth and you, you have that opportunity to share what God is doing in your life and you're open-handed in front of them and saying, I, I'm not concerned about what you did or who you are. I am concerned about the malignancy in your soul and I want to communicate that good news to you. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to be. Here I'm looking for a message on Billy Graham and I get a whole other gospel presentation I wasn't even expecting. But that's you. That's you. Because you get to go out to your coworkers and whoever else that you interact with and you have that answer for the malignancy of the soul. We all have that. And if you sign those boards at the beginning of the year, we said, hey, we're gonna try and be a different church. We're gonna go out in a different direction. That's what this is talking about. So why do we look at grace and truth? Because the world is desperate for it and we have it. And I want you to go and take that grace and truth that God brought into this world, that Jesus Christ brought into this world and you have the exact same access to it as well. So I want to encourage us all as we go out, as we interact with these people around us, that this, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. And it doesn't take a Billy Graham or somebody on TV. It takes you because you will be in the place that God has you to be. You are either a missionary or a mission field in my book, and you all have a place where you are called to. Let's pray. Ugh. God, we are humbled that you would call us into an opportunity like this. And God, we, we sit here and we think, wow, someone who preached to 250 million people, and yet, we have that same opportunity. We have that same ability, and it doesn't matter if it's 250 or if it's just two. This is the reason we're here on this earth because you have given us answers. You have given us the truth in your son, and you have given us grace to communicate that truth. 
And so God, I pray for our church right now, for ourselves as we go out into this world, that we would communicate that grace and truth, that it would be fragrant and evident and people would see something different in us so as they have those conversations, they would be ongoing and they would be drawn in because of what you have done in our lives and who you are in our lives. May we tap into that grace and that truth this week and for the rest of our lives, Lord. May we view the people in front of us as souls desperate for you. I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.